this, and everything I think, say, and do, I start with Jesus. Now, you knew this was coming. I know this is coming. Now, we're going to repeat this together. Three, two, one. In everything I say, do, and think. <laughs> I tried to do it without looking at the screen, y'all. Ah! All right. Hold on. Three, two, one. In everything I think, say, and do, I start with Jesus. Man, I was six for six going into this week. We just talked about perfection at our small group this morning, our discipleship group, and I'm going to go ahead and let that go. But, 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 we're looking at the example of, of Jesus, okay? So today what we're going to do, and I don't normally do this, okay, so I want to just preface this for you. I'm going to cover a good amount of Scripture. Now, the reason I don't like to cover a huge amount of Scripture all the time is because you guys know me, okay? That just isn't going to work. Like, my brain can't compute that, but... When we start looking at the story that we're at today, it all flows together, and some of us might actually mistake it for one of the other times that Jesus was talking about these familiar things, and I'll help you understand that, but it's actually a different time that he's doing so. So we're going to cover a good amount of scripture today, so I want to encourage you, if you do have a Bible with you, leave it open to Luke 6. If you're following uh, along with the, the version, you can do that as well. If you love underlining, highlighting, circling, some of you like to get square. Some of you mark your Bibles up with a ruler. Yes, you carry a ruler with your Bible because you have to have straight lines. Okay, whatever you do, this is going to be a great message to do so, but it's going to be broken up into two parts, okay? So the first part is going to be a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, and then it's going to be an example that the disciples need to have. All right, you guys with me on that one? So two parts. I'm going to talk about part one, and then I'll let you know when we get into part two. Sound good? Look at your neighbor and say, hold on. Now look at the other person you just ignored blatantly, say, I'm sorry. All right, so, all right, so we're going to go to Luke chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 17. Right before that, we see Jesus is calling Matthew to be a disciple. If you guys are tracking along in the chapters, you'll notice after that, Jesus is questioned about fasting. Uh, he's, he's healing people on the Sabbath, which he upset a lot of people when he did that. And then lastly, he names the 12 apostles who would, who would follow Jesus, okay? So that's from last week to where we get to today. And I think it's good for us to pause here for just a moment and realize that in the calling of the 12 disciples, that Jesus calls a man by the name of Judas. Now, if you have been raised in church, we know Judas is the disciple who sold Jesus out, okay? So there was a kid one time. And because uh, I've, always, I've always fascinated of why would Jesus choose a guy that he knew would ultimately sell him out? You ever thought that when you read about the story? Or why would he choose Peter when he knew Peter would deny him? So there's something going on here that we need to recognize. So somebody once asked a Bible teacher, he said, why would Jesus choose Judas as one of his disciples? And the wise teacher answered, he said, I don't know the answer to that question because I'm still trying to figure out why Jesus chose me. And I thought about that for a moment. I think it's a good time for us to just pause here and just say, aren't you thankful that despite you, uh-oh, because you know you and I know me better than anybody else that Jesus still chose you? Amen. I think that's a great thing to understand because some of you, man, you beat yourself up way too bad. You, you need to calm down a little bit, okay, because you're not perfect. Jesus chooses you despite you and your flaws and your many flaws and your many, 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 many many flaws. Come on, some of you need to smile right there, right? He still chooses you. Man, that's a good thing. I thought I would say that before we start the text because it's always interesting to me. He calls Judas. Still got him. All right, so verse 17, here we go. Bible says, and he came down with them and he stood on a level place. Look at your neighbor real quick and say level place. 
I'm going to explain that in a minute. It's important. With the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. Verse 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for the power went out from him, and he healed them all. So a great multitude of people are coming up, and it's crazy that anybody who was tormented, anybody who had a disease, anybody who needed a touch for Jesus, the Bible says he healed every single one of them. And that's fascinating. Now, what we need to know about this passage, and especially the setting upon which this is, this is, is there's hundreds of people that have flocked to see this guy by the name of Jesus. We know in the previous five chapters that we've read together, he started to do some things, and every time he does something, a crowd is attracted. The momentum of Jesus's ministry is picking up after every single miracle and every single interaction that he has with the religious people, and it's getting to a place where it's almost gonna be impossible for Jesus to minister to so many of a group of people. We're gonna see the feeding of the 5,000, the different one of the 4,000, but it's really getting crazy, and I want you to notice the momentum that has taken place because of the ministry that Jesus is doing. But specifically, I want you to know that while in this setting, there are hundreds of people there, Jesus does something very, very specific here that if we don't slow down and read, we miss. He does something so specific here for a very intentional reason that if you and I catch this today of what Jesus is saying and who he's saying it to it gives us the opportunity to be disciples just like they were disciples to go out into our world and reach people. Now, here's the very specific thing that Jesus did. It's actually found in verse 20. Notice what it says. Then he lifted up his eyes. Let's pause because here's, here's what we need to get. Toward his disciples. Now, this is fascinating to me because if you've got hundreds of people going and listening you would think that Jesus would be speaking to all of them. Matter of fact, they teach you, like in communication classes, that making contact and eye contact with people during a message, right, is super important. Sometimes when you're trying to navigate a point, you could even stare at a person and pause like this. Mike, isn't this very awkward at this moment right now? Not at all. Okay, I'm worried, right? Jesus, it says right here, Again, there's like these little things within the Bible. When we slow down to read it, you have to ponder. It says that he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, here's how it goes. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you. And when they revile you and cast you in your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Now, here's where we pause. Keep in mind, Jesus lifts up his eyes. He looks at the disciples, and he starts to say, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Why is that so important? Great question. So glad you asked. Here's your answer. Everything these guys are getting ready to do from this point on, they need this word right here. Because they're going to encounter people 
who are going to despise them, hate them, exclude them, and eventually kill them for the cause of what Jesus is saying right here. I believe Jesus is looking at these disciples eyeball to eyeball to say this. They're all going to hear this message. But disciples, I want you to look at me. I need you to hear this. Because if you do not hear this, and if you do not understand this, you will not pay the cost to come and follow after me. And I think it's better and it's good for us to notice and know the same thing. That when we become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, it's not just a tagline in our mission statement. It is a value of what we believe. That when we become disciples of Jesus, especially in the times that we live in, we'll get to that in a moment, it is important for us to know that we will be mocked for what we believe. We will have to give a word for someone who opposes us. And here in just a moment, Jesus is going to take it even deeper, and he's going to help them understand just how crazy this thing is going to get. But he says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Now, let me geek out as your pastor, because some of you know that this passage of Scripture sounds very familiar. You would know this scripture to be found in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. However, go back to our first verse here. Jesus is not preaching on the mount. Jesus is preaching on a level plane. This is actually a different time that Jesus is saying the same words, which would make sense. It's just like an evangelist. You have a word from God, you take it from church to city to city, and you do the same thing over and over and over. So this passage of scripture right here would actually be referred to as the, as the, the, the sermon on the plain is what they would say. This is a completely different time. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, Blessed are the hungry, blessed are the sorrowful, blessed are those who suffer reproach. When you go to Matthew's gospel of it, you begin to understand there's a deeper meaning to all of this. And what's going on is Jesus is not talking about natural poverty or material or hunger or sorrow or even reproach. He's actually talking about people who are not full of themselves, watch me here, but instead they are humble and they recognize, this is so good, not because I said it because it's in the Bible, but they recognize their own personal need for God. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying poor money-wise, poor in spirit. He, 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 he's saying that they're spiritually, they're hungry. He's saying blessed are the ones who possess sorrow for their sinfulness, because their sinfulness takes them away from God. He's saying, blessed are those who bear reproach for my name's sake. In other words, they know that apart from God, guess what? They have nothing. He's saying that apart from them, on their own, they're completely lost. If they have any hope, they need God's help. And what do they do? They cry out to God. Jesus here is being very specific with his disciples, and he's making it abundantly clear, watch here, that the first step to pursuing the kingdom of God is when you come to a place where you acknowledge, without him, I have nothing. Now I pause, because I talk really fast. Without God, none of us have anything worth living for. And that's not a surprise to a lot of us in this room or watching online. You, you've heard us say that any good thing that you have in your life is not of your own doing. It's not of your giftedness. 
It's of his doing. For the Bible says all good things come from above. So anything good that you have in your life is because of his goodness, not because of your giftings. See, the reason that is so important is because when God decides to open up the doors and bless you, he wants to know that he could be the one trusted to get the glory and not you. You've heard me say this before, and I mean it very respectfully. None of us are that good at all. How many of you would say that you have so many good things in your life, you don't even feel worthy for it? Or am I the only one? Man, I look around at my life and I go, there is no way I'm good enough to make any of this happen. It's only God's goodness. Now, he does require me to be accountable to the gifts and the talents and the abilities that he has given me. But at the end of the day, remember, he gave them to me. It's my job to recognize it and to steward it and to hone in on it and to make it the best that it can possibly be. But it all comes from him. And Jesus is saying specifically, specifically to his disciples that, hey, guys, listen to me very carefully. Blessed are you when you understand that without God and without the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will never accomplish the things upon which I've asked you to do. You, you need God. And everybody said, amen. But then he goes on. So blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, Jesus is about to take a turn. You ready for it? But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and you shall weep. And, and woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now again, listen to me. He's not talking about material wealth or physical fullness. He's talking about the person who doesn't feel like he needs God. In other words, I've got this. He's talking about the ones who make it their goal to be accepted by the world, but could care less about being accepted by God. In other words, it's the one who says, I've made my life. I don't need God's help. I joke about this a lot. That's why I don't believe in self-made millionaires. I hate that statement. No, somebody made you a millionaire. Someone did. You, you are not that on your own. It takes someone. And Jesus is saying to a group of people, for those of you who think that you could do all of this without me, yes. He's saying, woe to you. So, so Jesus here kind of like, blessed, 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 yay, just kind of turns the whole conversation. And he doesn't stop. He keeps going. Then he kind of brings it back to a much, I think, more difficult place of understanding. You ready for this? Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, uh-oh, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Now, this is where I think the message gets really tough because there's a little thing that we have in our life called the flesh. Does anybody know what the flesh is? The flesh says, when you treat me wrong, I treat you wrong back. That's what the flesh says. The flesh says, if you're my enemy, then fine, I'm your enemy too. The flesh says, if you come at me and you get loud with me, I get back at you and I get even louder. But the flesh says, if you hate me good, I hate you too. 
Jesus starts to lean into some things that these guys are going to go. And I, I, I would just go on record to say that I don't know how anybody in this room as a born-again believer or watching online or watching the replay could ever get to a place where they think they could actually do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. Because you know and I know there are people in our lives who know how to twist our buttons better than anybody else. Who know what we believe and know how to push on that. And Jesus right here goes to the disciples and says, hey, if you think they've talked bad about me now, if you think they don't like you now, you just wait. It's going to get worse. Oh, and by the way, when it does get worse, here's what I need you to do. I need you to actually walk this little thing called the high road. And by the way, disciples, there are no traffic jams on the high road. In other words, he's saying, you don't get to live at their level. You live at a different level. You don't, listen, the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. What we would do in the natural, God says you don't do in the natural. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. I'm better when I serve someone above me than being above anyone else. The kingdom's upside down. So Jesus just starts going, and then he even keeps going even more. Check this out, verse 20, 29. So to him who strikes you on the, on the one cheek, in other words, the one who slaps you, this doesn't sound good, offer the other one. At that point, I'd be like, look, I've only got two cheeks to turn. And from him who takes away your cloak, some of you just got that. Some of you are like, wait, what? Okay. Who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away from your goods, do not ask for them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? That's easy is what he's saying. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is it to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. We can pack up shop right now and leave. And probably wrestle with that one little passage of Scripture right there for the rest of the day. What is Jesus saying at the heart of this? What is he getting at? He's describing to his disciples a way that they are going to have to live in the days to come. And he's saying, don't expect anything from anybody. You lead first with love. You lead first with sacrifice. You lead first with grace and with mercy and with patience. We can bring this into all of our lives and go, okay, I get what Jesus is saying here. But how many of you would say, oh my gosh, that sounds hard? <laughs> Two hands. It's okay. The rest of you guys had really good head nods, right? How difficult does that sound? Why? Because people offend you. People hurt you. People despise you. People don't hear you out, right? And when someone doesn't do that, your first response isn't, oh, God bless them. Your response is, get thee behind me, Satan, right? It's like, it's not good. 
Notice Jesus, I mean, Jesus is, listen, this is a sermon from Jesus. My goodness gracious. If you guys ever feel like I laid on thick, no, this, this right here. Because I'll be honest with you, I struggle with a lot of that. Anybody else? Just me? Woo. Now, most of the time, because I could be a pretty inconsistent person. Oh, my goodness gracious, can you? Some days, I am loving towards you. Other days, I won't talk to you. And don't look at me that way either. Right? Some days, I'm very giving. Other days, I'm like, no, it's mine. Most of the time, it's with my two boys now who want to take everything that's mine. Right? Like, I think we all have these natural tendencies inside of us. And Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be my disciple, remember, he looked at the disciples. Could you imagine? And I think we have to. You want to know why? Um, I, reading the other accounts, if it says on purpose that Jesus looked at the disciples and said this, don't you think it would say on purpose that Jesus then started looking at the crowd and started talking to them? We don't find that. So that would lead us to believe that Jesus has kept his eyes locked on these disciples because he's teaching them. And we know that he did a lot of this in the three and a half years that he was with them. So Jesus is doing so. I think Jesus is showing them the difference between a life that is full and a life that is robbed of a lot of things. Look at what the Bible says in John 10, 10. The thief, meaning the enemy, the devil, the little red guy with the pitchfork, however you examine him, (laughs) the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Then Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I think what Jesus is saying to these disciples, your life will be robbed of joy, of peace, of purpose, and of all the things I have for you if you get caught up in the negativity and the culture and the toxic side of it all, and you start repaying evil for evil and getting back at people and treating them wrong. I think Jesus is saying, if you do all of that stuff, your life will be robbed. But if you believe in me and you follow my words, there's a joy that comes. There's an abundant life that comes. Jesus really is ultimately saying that when you're treated unjustly, when you're taken advantage of, when others seem to harm you, don't return evil for evil. He's saying live a completely different way. You see, I don't think we're going to accomplish much in the kingdom of God on earth if we spend all of our time playing defense. You guys know what I mean by that? In other words, we're just reacting to people and to life and to circumstances. I think we make an impact in our world when we go on the offense and we have an answer for things that happen in advance. Meaning, I'm going to treat people in love even if they don't treat me in love. I've already pre-decided that. Come on, discipleship class this morning at 9 o'clock. I've already pre-decided that you don't get to rob me of my joy. I've already pre-decided that no matter what you think about God, you will never change the fact in my heart that there is a God who is real, who came into my life and radically changed it. You'll never take that away. I'm going to pre-decide that no matter what you say about me, about my family, about my friends, about our church, about my life, that I will walk in love no matter what you say. I have pre-decided that you are not taking my joy. The kingdom of God moves forward when we pre-decide that we're moving forward in the ways of God. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Then he goes even more. Verse 37, judge not, and you shall not be judged. 
Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Wow. So, what it, so in other words, whatever I give you, guess what it does? Comes back to me. Nate, need you. Improv. There. Don't move. Stop. Don't drop. Thank you. I just gave you love. Now give it back. That's how it works. Now, if I give you condemnation, guess what you give me back? <laughs> nice try. Condemnation, right? Right? If I give you forgiveness, beat that sucker. That was easy. He gives me forgiveness. Okay, you can sit down now because I really value this. Um, I mean, not more than you, of course, because it's just a fun. But do you see whatever I give, what do I get back? The same. You've heard the principle. Whatever I sow, I reap. How many of you know that's true? I'll prove it to you. All of you people that are married. I like how everybody who's married starts smiling. Like, where's he going? <laughs> I'm nervous. Raise your tone and see what happens with the other person. Oh, <laughs> people started humming on that one. <laughs> Wait, do you start humming when they raise their tone with you, right? Think about this, right? When you're impatient with them, what are they with you? Most of the time. Now, some of you, you've already got this part figured out because you play on offense. When they raise their tone, you don't raise yours. Oh, I see husbands and wife looking at each other right now. This is good. Right? Most of the time, what do we do? We rise to the level of the other person. We reap what we so that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, when you go out and you preach my name, okay, and they come at you, don't be like them. They will eventually reap what they sow. God in his word says, I will deal with them. But how you conduct yourself and how you speak and what you give always, always, always comes back to you. Have you noticed in your life that when you work on things that you, and, you, and you're kind with other people and you're generous with your time and, and you're loving with your words, how more receptive they are to you, especially when you have to hit on a topic that might be a little difficult? You get back what you give. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, hey boys, make sure you get this. But then he makes a turn. And now I insert, insert, sorry, part two. Look at your neighbor real quick. There he is, part two. Then he goes on in verse 39, and now he starts, believe it or not, he starts speaking not only to the disciples, but to all of us thousands of years later. He says in verse 39, and he spoke a parable to them. Jesus would speak in parables. And he would say, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Now, keep in mind, in part one, he gives them all of these ways that they are supposed to live their lives as a disciple. And then he gets personal with them and says, now, here's the deal, boys. You're going to go off, and you're going to help make other disciples. And how you disciple them, the most important part is how you act as the discipler. So he says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall 
into a ditch. So Jesus here, he starts talking about discipleship and he says that if you're looking for someone to help disciple you in an area of your life, or if you're looking to be someone who disciples others in their lives, then you have to find someone who is experienced and has a level of of winning or a level of getting things correct in that moment. So Jesus here is actually almost talking about, hey guys, if you can live your life this way, there's going to come a moment where somebody starts to follow you and they need to follow someone who has got it right. This is how discipleship works. Discipleship isn't, man, I'm perfect and someone's following me and I have to be perfect for them. It's that, no, I've done the hard work of doing all the things that Jesus just spoke about. I'm not judging. I'm loving. I'm working on what I give away because I get it back. I'm doing all of these things so that when I start to disciple somebody else, I'm actually living what I'm teaching. So Jesus is saying, could the blind lead the blind? So he goes on and he's like, look, be about it. So like for us, it would be like this way, right? If we needed our marriage to be better, what would we do? We would find someone who has a marriage that is healthy, and we would say, teach us. If it was parenting, we'd find someone who practices godly parenting, and we would say, teach us. If it's in spiritual matters, we would find someone who lives a life of spiritual maturity, and we would say, teach us. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to see that I need you to get this down because you're going to teach it to others. And guys, it's the same for all of us here today. One of the greatest ways that we will share our faith is not just by the words that we speak, but by the life that we live that other people see. How important is that? People are watching you. They're watching how you talk. They're watching your examples. If you're here and you're a parent, your kids, they're looking to you especially if they're younger. You know, a lot of people, we get asked a lot, why do you guys do, do worship together with all of the kids in the sanctuary and then dismiss them? And I have an easy answer for that every single time. What greater example to set in the life of a young child to see their parents singing and worshiping God, lifting their hands, clapping for joy? What better example than to see mom and dad? It's one of the reasons why we do it. We're setting the example. That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus goes on in verse 40. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So this is how discipleship begins to work. I love this quote. It says this. It says, a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. I think this gives us a very good thing to always ask questions. Henry Ford said this. (laughs) This was good. He said, I cannot afford the tuition of learning from my own mistakes. We must find someone to pour into us and to disciple us as someone comes back and we get ready to bring this to a close. Then Jesus goes on, verse 41. He says, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Uses a very hard word here, hypocrite. He says, first, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. So Jesus here is saying that a person who is a disciple of others has to themselves be someone who looks into the word of God and sees their own reflection. Because when we look into the word of God and we see ourselves in the mirror of holiness, we see ourselves as we are. And how many of you would say sometimes that's not a pretty thing? 
Sometimes there are things, there's logs in our own eyes that, that we're not dealing with, but we're quick to deal with stuff in other people's lives. This is a time to step back and to reflect, to say that, hey, if you've got something going on, before you go try to fix your brother or sister in the Lord, fix yourself. Look at yourself. Why? Because we've heard it said, how could you say that? You're being a hypocrite, right? So what Jesus is saying here to the disciples is, hey, guys, keep things in check. What's he probably asking them to keep in check? You ready? Go all the way back to verse 17 and all the way back and through. All those things that we talked about, that huge, long sermon that Jesus gave. He's now saying to his disciples, hey, make sure you're checking this. There's work to be done. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever spent time you're reading God's word and you see a not so flattering reflection of yourself when you read something? You ever been there before? Kind of hurts, doesn't it? You read something in the Bible. I can give you plenty of examples, but I think we all know. And it's almost as if the Holy Spirit says, that's you. Man, that's hard sometimes. Unless we understand that it's a great opportunity for us to utter one phrase, Lord, help me. I think one of the beauty, the beauty parts of reading the word of God is the fact that it shows us really who we are in the process of being discipled by Jesus and by the word of God. And I think it's mightily important for us, not just on Sunday, but in every day for that matter, to spend time reflecting on our lives and the things that we say and the things that we do and the influence that we allow into our lives. Jesus gets ready to bring this, this sermon to a close and he goes to verse 43 and he says, for a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus here is saying that we must check ourselves, and we must ask ourselves, what are we allowing to have influence in our lives? Because a tree will be known by its fruit. You know, a lot of times people ask the question, who are you being discipled by? And many times, most people don't really have like an actual person that's really discipling them. It's not something that we've done very uh, well for a while. I won't say in every church because I can't speak on behalf of every church. But I could probably say in, in, in my context, I'll just speak for me, I haven't been a part of churches that were very active about discipling one another. And I think that's why God called our church at the beginning of the year to launch a discipleship class on Sunday mornings. We're getting ready to go into our third topic starting next week on the Holy Spirit. I encourage you that no matter what the topic is, I would encourage you to sign up for it and be a part of it. Because someone maybe has never discipled you in the scriptures of what the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit works. And whether it's talking about the Holy Spirit, when we get into the summertime, we'll talk about finances, we'll talk about parenting, we'll talk about marriage, we'll talk about end times. But these are ways for you to be discipled. And I think it's important for us to ask the question, who is really discipling us? Who is speaking into these issues? Who has a voice in your life to speak into an issue that you're having? Now, what we fail to recognize is all of us actually are being influenced by something. 
Now, I don't want to get on a crazy tangent here, and I want you to hear my heart, but some of us, man, we're, we're influenced by a lot of things. Whether that be the people that we admire, the books we read, the music we listen to, the websites we visit, the television shows that we watch. You say, oh, pastor, don't do that. I'm not saying you can't do those things, but I'm saying do those things have an influence over your life that is contrary to God's word? Because in a way, they are discipling you. Because they are influencing you. So the question becomes is who has a bigger influence over your life? Is it a man or a woman of God? Is it a church? Is it... Do, do they have the ability to speak into that? Jesus paints the picture that that's important, mainly because you will bear fruit from that. So you got to be careful about the opinions, the thoughts, the advice, the counsel that you allow into your life. And you have to have the right voices speaking into your life. We close here, verse 46. He says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose or when the snow came and it melted off, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on earth without a foundation and against which the storm beat vehemently. I'm so impressed that I could say that word correct two times in a row. You are welcome. And immediately, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. What is Jesus saying right here? Ultimately, Jesus is saying that discipleship comes down to what we do, not just what we say or who we know. In other words, discipleship is about lordship because that's what he said anybody who comes to me and hears my singing and does them he's like the man who built his house on our yes jesus is savior and i think god is highlighting this in our church and especially in our gatherings because it keeps coming to my spirit yes he is savior the bigger question is is he lord does he have a say in every single area of your life. The Bible says he cares about every detail of your life. Listen, if he knows the number of hairs on your head, and I don't know what he does with those who have no more hair. I'm not looking at anybody right now, but maybe he's talking about the follicles or where it used to be. I don't know. But at one time, he knew. When you had a full head of hair, he knew. He cared. Why do I do things like that? Goodness gracious. He cares about every detail, guys. So therefore, the question becomes, is, is he Lord of every single detail? Because if he is, I promise you, if he is the Lord of every detail in your life, and you build your life upon the rock, when the storms of life come, and they will, you'll stay standing. Now remember, he's looking the disciples in the eyes, and he's saying, disciples, if you build your house upon the rock. Storms will come and you'll still stand. Amen? I want you to stand with me to your feet.